Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. You're John. John, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Can you please introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? My name is uh, John Kerner. I'm professor of uh, social sciences at Erie Community College for the past uh, 15 years uh, near Buffalo, New York. And I've written several books about um, conspiracies and religious mysteries. And the two uh, that we're probably going to talk most about today uh, one is why the CIA killed JFK and Malcolm X, the secret drug trade in Laos. And the other one is uh, well, the JFK Jr. assassination. You could mention that if you want later, explaining the truth, the JFK Jr. assassination. It might not be time to get to, to that today, but those are the two ones that I've done about conspiracies that relate to the Kennedy family anyway. There's uh, the JFK, then there's RFK, then there's the JFK Jr., and then they call it the Kennedy curse. And I'm like, all right, look, coincidence to a point, okay? Like, there, <laughs> there's some stuff you just got to start questioning. But when it comes to, you wrote a book called Why the CIA Killed JFK, and then also Malcolm X. Do you think the CIA, because there's a lot of people that have different thoughts. Some people think there was it, it was Oswald that did it. Others think it was LBJ. Other people think it was Hoover. Other people think it was Dulles. Other people think, I probably stand in the belief it was the Central Intelligence Agency. I don't necessarily blame them, like the whole agency. I just blame individual actors that are in it. But you kind of conspire under one flag, I'd say. I think one thing that we could do um, that I've been looking into recently is try to exonerate Oswald because it, it doesn't seem like he either shot J.D. Tippett or the president. And one thing we can look at in terms of the timeline of the Tippett shooting is that we know that Oswald was in the Texas theater, according to the ticket taker and also the people in the theater. He got there between 1 and 1.07 p.m. And we know that the Tippett shooting, according to Dallas police reports and his morgue, and, and the um, autopsy, I should say. He was shot at 1.14 and died at 1.15. So Oswald gets into the theater between 1 and 1.07. He stays there until 2 o'clock, and Tippett was shot at 1.14. There was no way he could ever have shot J.D. Tippett physically. He was in the theater. So we know he didn't do that. And in fact, if the Dallas police could have just went down to the theater, did some basic police reporting, he could have been exonerated from that shooting within about an hour. Why, why do you think people want to blame Oswald so much? Because the way that I've, I've, I've recently just got interested in myself, which was the General Walker incident. And if you look into the apparently the reason why they say, oh, it, it was Oswald, because obviously he shot at prior. He shot at General Walker. Now, they go off Marina Oswald's statements about this. They say Marina Oswald said that her husband came home talking about it and said that he tried to assassinate this guy. But. All the witnesses at the scene or when that happened talked about seeing two individuals and Oswald apparently got arrested that day and he was released at 12 p.m. Um, from Dallas Police Force. And the document says from higher authority. Now, 
if you look at General Walker, one document that I did find from the FBI was they talked about how at this time when he he didn't know he didn't he he's changed his statement so many times that he says they say he's unreliable. He fabricates things. But one thing that they do end up mentioning is that the time when he did say it was Oswald that was going to kill him or that tried to kill him was when after Kennedy was killed and Oswald's name came out as killing Kennedy. And he said that at this time, Walker was running for political office and he was completely right wing. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You have right wing General Walker and then you have Kennedy's stance in politics. They're complete opposites. So they go, I think that he was using the Oswald thing as that means if Oswald killed Kennedy and then tried to kill me, then you should vote for me because I have the same policies as Kennedy. And it makes a lot of sense, but that's always what I've seen is people starting off with the first blame for Oswald. And then they start going, there's not enough evidence to incriminate him on um, JFK's death. Dallas police made a statement about saying we don't have enough to get them on JFK, but we have enough to pin them on Tippett. And I'm like, but do they have enough evidence to pin them on Tippett? You have all these witnesses that are saying that they're seeing two people or they're seeing one person who's really short. And it just seems like there wasn't enough people in the lineup to incriminate them. Yeah. And I want to get into the fact that even some things about exonerating Oswald from being the assassin are from recent research, we know that, for example, the gun that was found, the Melanchocano, it was cited for a left-hand shooter, and Oswald was right-handed. So we also know that when looking at the evidence, he was seen in the lunchroom having lunch as late as 12.25 p.m., and the Kennedy motorcade was running at least 10 minutes late. So if he was the alleged assassin, why is he in the lunchroom? He seems disinterested in even being in position due to the shooting. As late as 12:25, so the alleged story that he was up in the sniper's next on the sixth floor, he does three precision shots, leaves shell casings for the police to find, wipes the rifle clean of prints, stashes it across the room, and runs down five flights of stairs, and is seen without being out of breath by patrolman Marion Baker. We also know too that on the stairway, Sandra Stiles and Victoria Adams never saw him. Dorothy, Dorothy Garner, their um, supervisor, saw them running down the stairs, and they said Oswald was never there. So it's pretty easy to say that it doesn't even seem like he even was the shooter. I think people on the other side would refer to the aspect that there's Frazier that saw him carrying a long package into the book depository building and saying that was the rifle that he stored. But it, it seemed like even if you the, the, the rifle, he wouldn't have the ability to be able to disassemble it, especially that type of rifle. Um, so it's planted evidence. I mean, even the first initial reports, I think it was Roger Craig and a couple other people of Dallas police. They said it was a Mauser at first, and then eventually it switched over to a Carcano. The, the only person that kept it the same was Craig. He said it was a Mauser 100%. They didn't have fingerprints of Oswald until later on the rifle. And it's just like, there's so much stuff where it's like, I, I, it found, I found it hard for me to figure out what his personality was. Was he a lone nut? Was he uh, a, a Russian? Was he a Cuban communist? I have no clue. It's just, it's so back and forth. Yeah. I mean, thing with the crime scene, the, they didn't find any of his fingerprints. They found a palm print later and some researchers in the 1970s found out that they had two 
Dallas police officers went to Miller Funeral Home on the morning of um, the, the Monday morning after the assassination, and they placed his palm print on the weapon for comparison purposes. And we also know that Mark Lane, who tried to be his attorney, the Warren Commission didn't let him do that, defend him. He found a paraffin test that they had did on Oswald on Friday night of the assassination, and they found he never even fired a rifle. There was no evidence that he had um, any kind of things on his hands indicated he had fired a rifle that day. He failed the paraffin test. So when it comes to the murder of Tippett, what, what, I guess, in your mind would be the reason you could easily give me a couple of points of why he didn't kill Tippett? Well, the timing just doesn't make any sense. So you have the ticket taker who he gives us, there is interview on YouTube you can look up that says Oswald was in the theater at 1.07 p.m. And the ticket taker says it started the movie at one o'clock. They're playing Cry of Battle and War is Hell. So he knew the movie started at one o'clock. So he could time it. And he said, he said Oswald slipped in between 1 and 1.07 p.m. And we know he stayed there because other witnesses said he just sat in his seat and he was arrested at around two o'clock, never left the theater. So we know he gets into the theater between one and 107 because the movie starts at one o'clock and he's there. And then we know for a fact that according to the autopsy report for Tippett and also the Dallas Beast Memorial page, it's the time of the shooting was 114, time of death one minute later, 115. So he is in the theater when Tippett is being shot. He cannot have killed Tippett. So how do you go from this to linking to why the CIA killed JFK? Well, if you want to look at the motives, it goes very far back in his administration. The first sign of tension was the Bay of Pigs invasion. When Kennedy did not provide air cover for his attempt to overthrow Fidel Castro. The agency felt that they had betrayed him, but he didn't want to start a wider war with Cuba or with Russia. So after this happens, the two sides, they just split. The president doesn't trust them. They don't trust him. And I'll just give you some examples. So after this, he fires Alan Delos, the director of the agency, and Richard Bissell, the director of operations. But it, one more interesting thing that not many people know about is the CIA starts to try to destroy the Peace Corps. Peace Corps had just been established as a way for JFK to promote peace during the Cold War. It was directed by Sergeant Shriver's brother-in-law. And Sergeant Shriver called President Kennedy in May of, of 1961. And he said that the agency is attempting to destroy the Peace Corps by putting agents in the Corps not to promote peace, to promote war. And this ends up starting this tension between the two sides. And when he finds out about this, he says he wants to destroy them and, and put them into a thousand pieces, scatter them to, to, into a thousand pieces, shatter them into a thousand pieces. Now, if you go to the to Peace Corps website today, it says, if you have ever been in the CIA, you never can join the Peace Corps. You're banned from even applying to the Peace Corps. There's still that, that anger between the two sides to this very day, what they did in 1961. That's where it really all began. 
it's when you really look into the case of jfk it starts to get severely complicated because then you start looking at the individual actors that are involved in it and i mean you have characters like dulles you have certain other cia agents that seem like they're like james bond styles in a way as well too Mm -hmm. um but it's just been such a mess trying to figure every single thing out. Like it's just complicated for even me to understand. I mean, it gets into realms of like brainwashing and tactics with MK ultra that just make your mind just snap in half. But the way I try to look at this was like the same way you said about exonerating Oswald. I looked at it like three people died that day and all of them had kids. So you got to tackle each individual thing. I mean, JFK, depending on if you look at what his politics were, I mean, he ran on a platform of being a cold warrior. That was his thing. People said it was a way to get elected, but um, I've talked to Peter Kuznick from Untold History uh, of the uh, United States. Um, He made that with Oliver Stone, and he talks about, no, he just went to Vietnam and all these places and has realized this is not an effective way to do this. I mean, Khrushchev and him both saw the aspect of nuclear weapons and what they could do and realizing that it was going to cause more damage than anything. And then immediately you start seeing his policies change. He starts turning into this figure that we know him now to be as, or when he died to be as, and that was one of the strikes because it's not just with the Bay of pigs in Vietnam, but everything that they were running off of and the government had been wanting for so long. And now he's going the complete opposite direction. And that's a problem, especially when you look at the size of the military industrial complex. Yeah, I can give you some examples of that. So he had decided to withdraw from the Vietnam War by 1965. He signs NSAM 263 to start the withdrawal process of the first 1,000 troops and finish off the withdrawal by 1965 with the remaining uh, 15,000. They had had 16,000 troops there. Not that many, really. He had decided, similar to the situation in Laos, that he wanted to have peace in Laos and in Vietnam. And that was a big threat to the agency. They had, um, as you said, a lot of military contracts there, access to the opium market, all kinds of things that they can make a lot of profit from. And even just going a bit further back, in March of 1963, there was something called Operation Northwoods, where the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the CIA, they tried to have this uh, act of fake terrorism, where they were going to start uh, riots in Miami. They're going to blow up a passenger jet and blame these on Fidel Castro to start a war against Cuba. And JFK shut down the program immediately with Robert McNamara and Secretary of Defense. And this is one more example of the tension that was existing at the time between the two agencies, between the president and the agency. I want to mention one more thing to you, mentioned Khrushchev. The president had this idea of um, a joint moon landing, wanted to have Russians and the Americans uh, have uh, an event for the world to see in the late 60s to combine the space programs. Khrushchev was going to accept the offer. And this is going to be one more accept ending the Cold War that would have happened had he not been assassinated. When it comes to the individual acts that the CIA's CIA is doing. Did you look into them even deeper than that before? Because I, I, I said MK Ultra, and I just want to make sure I got this document I wanted to show you with about Walker um, that I found that I, I think is just really interesting. So Walker got arrested eventually. Um, a really weird right wing like KKK, like he had 100,000 followers at this time, and people thought he was going to spark up like some type of terroristic act. Um, so 
for those who do not understand why General Walker's friends and associates are so concerned uh, for his well-being at the time, afraid of possible tampering with his mind or body, they should uh, read Brainwashing, the Russian psychopolitical text thoroughly to include the portion on lobotomy. The pamphlets are available at the American Freedom Bookstore. So they are concerned and have for several months regarding the possible tampering chemical or psychological by double agents. Drove to Dallas last June to discuss the matter with General Walker. So when General Walker was arrested, he was getting all these like weird letters, like Hoover was getting all these weird letters in concern of this General Walker, this person that Oswald tried to assassinate. And a lot of this was because when the reason why I think Walker is kind of really important in this, and like, this is just new research to me, but it's because the FBI was writing documents saying that he was using Oswald's name, he, that Oswald did not shoot at Walker. He was using his name um, because it was hooking onto the JFK assassination, and people were afraid that that would cause a deeper investigation into the assassination of JFK. So you have documents from the FBI and the CIA that are talking about Walker being an issue, and then discrediting Walker, saying that he you can't tie him with this right-wing political like KKK member guy, and we have to do everything that we can. Eventually, he got arrested. And then you had people that were also writing letters. Why was he being arrested? He did nothing. He, the same thing he did was the same thing Martin Luther King did. They were making arguments in that sense. And the government was like, we need to shut this down as much as possible. And that's when people started fearing for General Walker's safety and custody. Do not let any psychiatric appointments happen. Do not allow, like all these messages were going across. And you start going, they're covering up something. And the weird part is eventually they use it to their benefit. They used it as an angle of obviously he was crazy because he tried to assassinate someone prior. That's how we know he killed JFK. But then the documents also show that it couldn't have been Oswald because Oswald is described as a lone nut. And the person that Walker described was two characters. So that doesn't line up. That causes you to look into the Tippett investigation. What did the witnesses say when they said they saw Tippett? I mean there's a lot of weird stuff that happened at Tippett's death. I think it was probably gang violence. Um, from the accounts of two people, but they also said it could have been Dallas police, which just starts making you wonder how corrupt is everything now? Yeah, it seems like leading up to the assassination, there are any number of things that were being planned to make sure that Oswald was going to be the one blamed for this. And it, it seems like the Walker incident might have been one of these things. Also, there was an incident where someone pretending to be Oswald was at a firing range and said he was shooting at President Kennedy and it wasn't him. They, and that was one more thing you could say, well, like with this incident firing range, they also went to a dealership and drove like a, someone who was very crazy, saying he was Oswald, just to make a name make a name for himself, just to say that this man was, was as you said, some kind of lone nut. But in both cases, at the dealership, with the Walker shooting, with uh, the firing range, with Tippett shooting. I don't know too much about the firing range. Well, there was this incident about a month before the assassination where someone was at a firing range um, and he shoots at their target next to the guy. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I was trying to kill President Kennedy. And he says that he's Lee Harvey Oswald. But people at the range said, well, that wasn't him. That wasn't Oswald. That was somebody else pretending that he was Oswald. So there are these different things happening before the assassination that it seems like it was planned ahead of time to make sure that he was the one gonna, that would be blamed for this. Who the fuck goes to a shooting range, shoots someone else's target or something and says, oh, I'm sorry, I was trying to shoot President. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, do you, that's going to incriminate yourself so bad. But I mean, 
that's the weird part about like Dallas at the time. I mean, Dallas did not respect Kennedy at all. He was basically like there was warnings to him, like he's walking into a dangerous territory. And Dallas at that time was not a very good spot to be. I mean, the newspapers even said there's a really weird video you can watch of um, then they give Kennedy a hat, like a, a cowboy hat. And everyone gets silent after clapping and just waits for him to put it on. And he like goes to put it on and then he pulls it down and then everyone goes, oh, like they were waiting for him to like convert to be like us, that with the cowboy hat. And he was like, I'll put it on when I get to the White House or something like that. He did yeah, put it on when we get to the White House on Monday. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that's just weird, man. Like I see that. I'm like, they just obviously they want him to be as much uh, like bring him back as much as possible. But at this point, he's on the road to change. I mean, he's making statements about peace. People like it. And I think he probably got more popular after his death. But there was just a lot of things that were going on eventually that changed his opinion on things of what he originally ran off of. And I think that was an issue for the government who was wanting it to go in this direction. And the thing is, if you look at um, look at an opinion poll at the time that was done. Um, I think it was about Gallup or one of the agencies that was around. He was very popular. He had 70% rate of approval. Over 70% people loved him. He was um, 64 to like 30 something against Goldwater in March of 1963 in a, in a mock, in a mock um, polling that was done. So he was popular among most of the country, except in the South, though, like you said. Those changes were not going over very well for integration of the pub, of the public school systems and for peace in, in Laos and Vietnam. So if you are in these agencies, there's going to be four more years of President Kennedy. He's going to get reelected, and that's not going to be uh, acceptable to those that want uh, don't want those changes to take place. When it comes to, did you ever look into the AJ Heidel ID? Oh. Um, the A.J. Heidel Oswald, ID, the Oswald's fake personality. Oswald's yeah. So what exactly is about that? That, that? I'm so confused by that. I can't tell if it's real because they said they found his wallet at the Tippett crime scene. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's one thing that I think that was done for was to have an alias set up for him that could connect him to the rifle. But it was never actually used by him. Because if you look at the way it was used when the right when the rifle was was purchased, Oswald never signed for it. It was signed by Alex J. Heidel, but just in block letters. It wasn't signed. So the person who did it was if they're trying to disguise their signature. And we also know that it was sent to a post office box, so it could be traced. And the post office uh, records were destroyed. So we don't really know who actually signed for it because the records for it were destroyed. This is where it gets confusing because it's – I think if I'm not mistaken, they had an FBI informant at that mail po postage place that didn't file the right transfers or just lost the transfers for mail order address changes. I mean there's a lot of mysterious stuff that was going on there as well too. When it comes to the – did you ever look into the backyard photographs? Yeah, I did look at them too, yeah. Do you think that it's possible that they were photoshopped? I know people talk about the shadows not lining up, but I just I'm so basic on the technology back then to know if there's a way to be able to manipulate photos like that. Well, the technology was available to manipulate photographs. I mean, look at the Zabruder film, for example, that was altered in some significant ways.
You're the first person I found who's not agnostic on the Zapruder film. Everybody else doesn't even want to touch it. (laughs) Well, you can look at the way it was, um, what happened with the Zapruder film is Secret Service took possession of it on the afternoon of the assassination. And they brought it to the Hawkeye plant in Rochester, New York on the night of uh, Saturday, November 23rd. And it, it was altered there. There's an interview we can look up with Dino Briglione. He was at the Hawkeye plant that night. He talks about looking at the original Zverter film before it was altered. And a number of things that he saw were just amazing. He said the car came to a complete stop when the headshot took place. And many witnesses said that they saw that. And in fact, in the film, you can see that the car keeps moving forward during the headshot but the agents lurch violently forward as if the car is being stopped. So it does show that in the film. Also, he said that in the film, the back of the president's head um, over here, there was an exit room and large mass of blood everywhere. But what they did is they put like a, over here, like a black spot to cover up the exit wound. And you can see that in this Bruder film. And every doctor in the hospital said that it was the exit was back over here. They changed it in the film. Well, originally the doctors at Parkland, I'm pretty sure, didn't even get to see the. No, it was it was it Parkland or was it Bethesda? I think it was Bethesda. I, I can't tell which one. It was the autopsy doctors for JFK were shown the Zapruder film after they had made original statements, which eventually they changed their original statements to match what they saw in the Zapruder film. And they thought, well, here maybe the Zapruder film will help you figure out what your answer is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> And they, they, I mean, that's that's going to change your thought. If you're asking someone to say, like, you, you know, you get a body in front of you, and I give you the tools to be like, diagnose how this person died or do an autopsy and tell me how this person died. Then I show you a video of how the person died. You're immediately going to change your statement if it's wrong. So it's like you're influencing footage with the truth. I mean, but what truth are you showing, though, if there's 70 something witnesses that saw a back head explosion and then Clint Hill also saw a hole in the back of his head. But when we he see did, the yeah. Zapruder film, we see something completely different. And not only that, when you see the autopsy photos of JFK, there is nothing that shows what the Zapruder film showed. Yeah, the autopsy photographs were altered, too, because they didn't want to show that there was this massive exit in the back of the president's head. So obviously, this shot was coming from the front. And other things that were changed too, Briglioli said that there was a, he saw a bullet hole in the Simmons Freeway sign. He also saw um, there was no stoppage. Um, there was also another stop around Elm Street when it came down Elm to Houston. And he also said that all this was done the night of the 23rd by the orders of the CIA. So all this was planned out and there at least this complete lot to the American people just to make it look like the forensics didn't match up with what the doctors were saying. They also were saying the president was had a shot in his throat, an entry wound right here, with a shot from the front. So all these different things were were changed. So I mentioned the idea of the, the photograph being altered. It could be done and, and at that time it was done with this Zabruder film. Did you want like in your book, do you address all these things? I look into them individually. Um, I also get into the RFK assassination too, and and the the MLK assassination, and how the agency was linked to those those assassinations too. 
I mean, just recently, for example, Sirhan Sirhan talked about the fact that he was brainwashed by the agency. Is he was um, he made this submission about three years ago that he was um, he has no memory of the assassination because he was brainwashed. And his doctor um, William Pepper, his his uh, lawyer, talked about this and said he never even did the kill shot. He was even close enough to to kill Robert Kennedy because he was shot in the back of the head. So that came out recently too. Did you, I guess, get to the point in your book where you mentioned MK Ultra? Did you dive into that little rabbit hole yet? What exactly about MK Ultra did you find out? Well, my only link that I was looking into was with Sirhan Sirhan, and he seems like a classic case of brainwashing. And one thing that they do is re repetitive rote uh, training, where he had in his journal. RFK must die, RFK must die, RFK must die. And he was tortured repeatedly. Uh, he was, he talked about this recently, the training that he went through with the agency. He remembers some of it, but the night itself, um, he just acted on orders from the agency like a robot. He couldn't remember his name or what was happening. He didn't know that, we don't know that there was another shooter there though. Nina Rhodes Hughes came forward about three years ago. And she was Robert Kennedy's uh, assistant. And she said that she saw a second gunman there in the kitchen pantry that was shooting at Robert Kennedy in the back of the head. And she knows it wasn't Sirhan, that it was never close enough to ever have shot him in the back of the head. So there were two shooters there that, that we now know of. Did Sirhan ever mention um, who the person was that might have brainwashed him? David Morales, he felt, was the one most linked to the assassination. And Morales admitted that he was there in Los Angeles at the time. He even bragged about this later. He, that he, yeah, isn't that crazy? So I went on the. So I spent the. I spent the past probably couple weeks now digging through the archives of this. Mostly, it's the most of my documents came from the NSA. Um, but I went on the CIA website and looked up a person named Luis Joylon West. Now, Joylon West was the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby, but also the same psychiatrist for Charles Manson. Now, if I type in Joylon West on Wikipedia, his name's going to pop up, and it's going to show under his name is that he was using LSD for the CIA to brainwash Korean War um, veterans to forget what they had done over there so they could give testimony and not incriminate anything. Maturing candidate kind of stuff, yeah. Yes. So that I went on the CIA website, and that's what Wikipedia said is that he works for the CIA. So I go, CIA has to have a file on him, right? No, they don't. There's no files when you type in that name. But one thing I did find was Jack Ruby's psychiatry records. Now, in Jack Ruby's psychiatry records, hold on, I think I just included. Uh, mm -hmm. I see it. Um, one second. I clicked up the wrong document. This one right here. Wait, this one right here. I got like 50 things pulled up on my screen. So this is the psychiatry um, examination for uh, Jack Ruby. You can see at the top. Psychiatry exa examination from below. Um, sorry, my computer's lagging and crawled under the table to listen like spontaneous consents in response to any questions, both reveal that the hallucinations were of human groans and cries, sometimes of children of a child. This is what Jack Ruby saw. He basically saw in a summarization of Jews burning in a street, um, his brother dying with no legs. Like there's a bunch of weird hallucinations that he was having. So Joylon West was the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby and they have no files at the CIA website about, um, Joylon West. So I go, so does he exist? Did he ever work for the CIA? So I'm trying to make sure this is the correct document. I hope it is. That'd be dumb. 
dumb if I pulled it up. Um, there's a signature on one of these that has Joylon West signature at the very bottom, right there. Luis Joylon West, MD, professor of psychiatry. Mm -hmm. So he's not on the CIA website. They have, they say this guy doesn't exist. We don't have a file on him. But then you look in Jack Ruby's psychiatry records, which they do have on the CIA <laughs> website, and his name is posted there. So why do you have the guy's examination records for Jack Ruby if he never worked for you? Why is Wikipedia and Google telling me that he worked for the CIA at a point using LSD experimentation, but the CIA.gov, their archive, has no documentation on this guy? So now you are in this area of what the hell's going on in the CIA? How far back does this all go? And you start realizing that they've had a lot of influence on brainwashing. I mean, the idea of what we say brainwashing. I showed you a document earlier with Walker. Don't give him a psychiatry appointment. Don't give him any of these types of things. Please, we're af afraid of his safety, of you guys maybe lobotomizing him. I mean, that's crazy shit. <laughs> it is. <laughs> It's all lies. Yeah. Does it make you think differently about the CIA? I mean, they're a rogue agency. I mean, in many ways, uh, they're, they're not in the Constitution. They have a black budget, do what they want in many cases. And I was thinking about this too, um, looking at the way the assassination went down. Uh, there were several chances where the president could have been saved. So the first shot happens, Clinton Hill hears this. He could have reacted and, and, at least prevented a headshot. So if the president survived the assassination, but she, he may have survived it, even the throat shot, he could have survived. Looked at a, a case with George Orwell. He was shot in the throat during the Spanish-American War, and he survived and recovered his voice. So even if the headshot doesn't happen, he could have survived the assassination. So just let's play this out if we could. So after this happens, there will be an investigation into who did this. And it would have led to the CIA. And if this happens, the truth would have come out. And who at the time was the attorney general? It was Robert Kennedy. So he would have wanted to know he tried to kill his brother. And if that happens, then the agency probably ceases to exist. There's no way that they would let them continue to try to kill them. But we do know that after the assassination happened, RFK tried to do his own investigation into who killed his brother. And he, he looked toward the CIA. And in fact, when he ran for president, he wanted to open up the investigation again to kill his brother. And he was going to do this if he, if he won the presidency in 1968. So if JFK wins a second term, survives the assassination, I think that they just see when he when he even exists today, that they would be able to operate as they do today because he would have taken them down because they tried to kill him. Now, who do you think killed RFK? The same people. You think it was the same people? Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard him because he made statements to, like, I guess his Secret Service members about never knowing who, who killed his brother or what forces killed his brother. And they say that that's what led to his assassination. I mean, we know he was investigating his brother's death, obviously, but people always blame Hoover or Johnson. And I go, I think they were just part of the cover-up. I think there's just that, that rogue agency aspect is so strong. Well, what Robert Kennedy did was... He, the first day of the assassination, he calls up the director of the CIA and he says, did you do this? Was this part of uh, a plan from the agency? He thought right away that it was them that did it. So in the intervening five years, he does his own investigations, meets with investigators, 
that were looking into the case at the time. He visits Mexico City where Oswald visited. So he did a number of different things to try to look into the case and reopen it if he became president. So he was doing his own work privately. And that was going to be one of his missions if he got elected president in 1968. And unfortunately, he was assassinated too. And then um, when it comes down to his son as well, too, I got to ask this because I'm just curious. He went missing in a plane accident, didn't he? <laughs> no, he's actually dead. <laughs> I know. But that's I know he's dead, but I'm saying he, his plane apparently mysteriously just disappeared or did it actually go down? They have qualifications that it went down. JFK Jr.? Yeah. I'm oh, not yeah. like a nut thinking he's coming back or anything. <laughs> I just, I haven't, I don't know what happened to his son. I know his son died, but I just don't know how, what circumstances his son died. Yeah, we can go into that. So this was July 16th, uh, 1999. I'm so glad I clarified. You fucking, you, you looked at me like I was queuing on. I was like, hang on a second. I'm not that at all. Okay. <laughs> I just... <laughs> No, you were joking. Okay. I, I, I'm strictly on JFK, so like now I'm learning about RFK, but I, I've heard about his son briefly. Sure, yeah. Well, what happened here was, this was, again, it was July 16th, 1999, and JFK Jr. was making a lot of big changes in his life. He was selling George magazine, and he was looking into running for either the Senate or governor of New York. He decided to run or for political office. He told this to his friends, his family, his wife. It was time to make this big change. So he sold a magazine and he was heading off to Hannesport with his wife and his wife's sister. And they're going to the wedding of Roy Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's youngest daughter. So along the way, they're gonna drop off Carolyn Bissett, sister-in-law at Hannesport. They took off from New Jersey, Caulfield Airport, at 8.19 p.m., 8.13 p.m., sorry, 8.13 p.m. on the, that day. And they're heading towards Hyannisport. And one hour into the flight, at 9.13 p.m., JFK Jr. calls into the Hyannisport airport, and he says he's on approach, and he's going to land the aircraft, which is about two minutes away. So if anything was wrong with him or the aircraft, he would have said something about it then, but he didn't. He said everything was fine. He's gonna land the aircraft. And then one minute later, witnesses on the ground see, three witnesses on the ground see and hear an explosion and the plane drops off of radar. Now the official version of events is that he had spatial disorientation, he crashed the aircraft, it was his own fault, but that's not what happened. If that was happening, he would have said something at 9.13 p.m., but he did not. And witnesses said that they saw or heard an explosion. And in fact, after this happens, there is a 14-mile radius of debris around that area. Just people are finding luggage, sneakers, airplane parts all around Hyannisport as if there was an explosion. And it just seems like from what had been told at the time, it was spatial disorientation. There was no bad weather. It was. It, it seemed like, from what witnesses said, the plane had plane blew up. I about to say, if there's luggage scattered over 14 miles, that's not an impact crash. That's something that would have blown up or hit earlier before it even got close to the ground. Mm -hmm. So you have um, 
when a plane crashes in one spot, it's like an accordion comes into one area. But that wasn't what happened with this crash. It was a massive debris field of 14 miles. So the, the plane blew up. It exploded. Jeez. So that, that, I, I'm just, it's, I get it. I mean, it's just a lot. Um, isn't it a lot to take in? Yeah. It's it just really, for the it, family, I feel bad at some points. Like that's the thing is that whenever you start talking about these types of stuff, people either roll their eyes and say conspiracy. And like it's what's interesting to me about you is that like if you're looking into conspiracies, I'm sure you can determine if the earth is flat or not. Um, and also at the same time, you can also determine that this is a real conspiracy. This isn't fantasy. This isn't this idea that there's Illuminati or QAnon stuff. This is real government manipulation and government tactics to get rid of people i mean we know from the cia and their invasion with cuba and their ideas of what they were doing with zr rifle and all these other incidences with castro i mean 693 attempts on castro from like poison cigars being delivered to explosive cigars being delivered and slipping arsenic or whatever in his tea like that's real real dark and weird things i mean the best evidence we can really have is howard hunt's interview with his son on his deathbed where he was like oh yeah we had ideas of slathering lsd on a steering wheel it's like what like even if they never fabricated that if they never made it into existence they're still talking and skepticizing like that and that's people that are running these organizations yeah the interview with with uh saint john his son details many of the people that he felt were involved in the CIA with the JFK conspiracy, he spilled the beans and all of that. In fact, Hunt is from my hometown, Hamburg, New York, by the way. So, hey, Hamburg native. <laughs> so now we can brag about that, but he is from my hometown, New York, Hamburg, New York. But back to the JFK Jr. thing, just like you mentioned, there's a difference between the conspiracy theories and conspiracy facts. Like like the earth is flat. That's a that's a theory. That's a theory. But these are facts. And one really weird thing about this is after the plane blows up, it's the following morning of the 17th, and ABC News, Peter Jennings was alive at the time, they report that the Navy has picked up the Piper Saratoga's rescue beacon, and they're closing in on it. Now, it makes sense because <clears throat> the place where the plane off of radar. You could, you could find this easy. It's about 100 feet of water. It's very shallow. They knew where the plane left radar. So you probably would think they could find this pretty quickly. It makes sense. So it's 2.15 in the morning. ABC News says we, we're picking up the rescue beacon. Navy has found it. But then they say, well, hang on a second. It's not the Piper Saratoga. It's a downed Navy uh, uh, plane in the water. It's a different... Uh, it's a different rescue signal, not the Piper Saratoga, something different. And then the story just goes away. That's it. It was not the right rescue signal, which is very strange because they have two different signals. They don't sound the same. You can't really confuse them. And also no one asked the question, well, is there a plane in the water that crashed in the JFK's plane? Is a pilot dead? Is there another wreckage there? what happened with this other plane is it just um, is it a, a made-up story so they said well no one asked those questions so it, it was very strange they said well we found the plane but oh hang on it's we didn't so sorry about that mistake it was a it was a naval plane but where's the plane the pilot is he dead 
It just, yeah. it's all very strange. Don't look into it. Don't look at, don't think about it too much. That's like what I see with so many of these documents where it's like, I, I expect them to be like one person. If you could, you know, have them handing you these documents, They're like, just don't try so hard. Just like real quick, just like, give me a brief rundown with a bunch of loopholes or all those types of things. I mean, it's a lot of legal language in a lot of the documents too. A lot of cover your ass moments. Um, I, I put up a document on the show about LSD interrogations. Now we know the CIA is legally not supposed to activate on domestic land. But we know they've been doing that for a very long time. So (laughs) if you look at their documents, they say anytime a CIA officer is interrogating somebody, you can revive old styles of interrogation like things in the Rockefeller Commission. And those are labeled as like male intercepts and then also LSD interrogations. And it's like, well, all their people that they're going to be interrogating are going to be covert because the CIA is not supposed to work domestically. So it's like legal language. That means they're just giving you the right of way to use LSD if you need to. And that's why you have a lot of people that, I mean, I don't know how known the CIA was with their interrogation methods, but I mean, a lot of people like defectors and these issues, I mean, they were coerced into a lot of statements that they necessarily didn't agree with publicly. It's like just really strange. And you start realizing kind of how everything works. Like when you writ your books about the JFK um, death and also JFK Jr., did you get good reception from it did you have people very interested in looking into it or were you kind of like blacklisted like um they the warren commission did with every media outlet where they pulled out that 1095 360 form (laughs) i got pretty good reception for it i mean i got it you know i got to be on coast to coast am a couple times and went around different richard searitt's uh, conspiracy show and my local uh, libraries had me talk about it and so it's it's been you know well received and i'm thankful for that i mean my publisher was willing to publish it in the first place so it was that was a nice thing to see so i thought maybe they wouldn't be willing to to do those books but but they did fortunately so and you downgraded and did my show congratulations not just kidding (laughs) 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 but um it's just to me it's just I, I, I mean, I've had Randy Benson on here. I've had so many people that have made like, I mean, even the idea of covert um, magazine, for instance, that's a really good magazine um, to look up. And it talks about all these covert type things. It, it gets so into the politics a little bit, but I mean, it stands from an act. I'm not really an activist. I don't really spar up to be an activist, but I see a lot of the things and I start seeing a lot of linkages and you start realizing how deep it goes. And you realize, like, I mean, even the government was giving a lot of these famous people that we know. I had a guy on here, uh, his documentary about, um, you know, John Lennon um, being drugged, given drugs. I mean, immediately when he starts cleaning up his act off of like hardcore drugs, LSD and everything, immediately he starts seeing his kids and everything and starts protesting against the Vietnam War. Then a month later, he dies, like his whole life's turning around and then he dies. And then like he gave even with Tupac, the FBI. Tupac had relations with uh, the Black Panther Party. He was a, his family members were in the Black Panther Party. And what he was doing was using a political angle involved into gangs, you know, telling the gangs like, you know, trying to bring this idea of peace, trying to a, a united front in a sense. And then he dies. And it's just like this guy lined it up in so many different ways with plenty of documents to back it up. And you start getting into this aspect of like, how deep does it go in our society? I mean, we know like influencing media, for instance, but how deep does that go? I mean, you lead into the, you start bringing up topics of brainwashing. People think you're fucking nuts. And I'm like, well, I just think we haven't been keen on what's been going on and any documents that we could say that we could reference to the document would say, destroy this document. Like, so then there's a lot of stuff that we're missing. 
Yeah, and and eventually, which is what is nice with so much information is that the truth finally does come out. Let me give you an example. So with Malcolm X's assassination, which happened in February of 1965, when that happened, there was this rush to judgment of who shot Malcolm X. And just last year, the two men who were in jail for 50 years were wrongly accused of this murder, were set free. So the truth for that assassination came forward and they were able to get their lives back and able to get some measure of justice for having been accused of what they never had done, the alleged shooters of Malcolm X and that assassination from 1965. Man, I'm not even that aware of Malcolm X's death that well. There's just, it's not really told a whole lot. I mean, I think you get like a rough kind of, like it's like the JFK assassination. It was a, what, I saw the Zapruder film in my junior year of high school and it was briefly touched upon, but then it just goes on to something else. Like there's a lot of things where you start, like I didn't realize how fascinating it was until I started diving into the topic of it and realizing that there's like clear evidence that something else is bigger here. I mean, I have documents just in that Walker one I showed you. They were scared for his life because they realized that there was something different. There's messages from Russia. There's messages from Cuba. There's messages from um, the Palestinian government um, in fear of like their condolences, basically, for JFK. They say, here's our condolences to the president of the United States. But on the other hand, who's going to be taking over his administration? Because we don't think Johnson's going to carry out the same policies. We think that JFK was killed. And this is from the Palestinian memo talked about from a Zionist group. Now, either you can take that for whatever it is, like, okay, uh, is this that's just maybe they're inflating something out of their thing. But I can I want to pull this up for you real quick. Um, A lot of this stuff like this is all coming from like the NSA website, like I'm pulling this off of. So I'm like the NSA has been the one for me that has really shown me more than the FBI has than um, any other government, CIA, even the archives. I mean, the archives are good to a point, but eventually it's just like they're. It's been so picked through already from the 2017 to the 2021. Um, so this right here I'm going to pull up for you was um, a message for from the Palestinian government about JFK's assassination. Okay. So if I can zoom in a little bit for my old eyes. President – so let's read at the top. So minimum distribution reproduction prohibited without a, a prior NSA approval. President Kennedy's assassination a Zionist conspiracy. The assassination of the great President Kennedy was a shock to Palestines. Please convey our sincere sympathy to the Kennedy family and to, do, and to the people of the United States. Behind the mysterious crime is a carefully plotted Zionist conspiracy. A review of the secret and overt Zionist criminal conspiracies against um, Lord uh, – Noeen Branite, the Egyptian and German scientists, as well as other terrorist method adopted in kidnapping. So they're basically mentioning evidence to question the secret organizations that are the United States. So he provides the evidence to question the position of their secret organizations. The late president was likely to win the coming presidency elections without supplicating Zionist sympathy or seeking the Jews' vote. Aware of the fact that their influence and power in the United States are based upon the Jews vote. I don't know where they're pulling that from, but the Zionists murdered the courageous president who was about to destroy the legend of theirs. His assassination is a warning to the rest of the honorable leaders. Reveal their conspiracy to the supreme judgment of the world. Be careful. You are the hope of the Palestines. I mean, this was 25th of November, 63, three days after or two days after Kennedy's killed. Um, where you just get into this area, like these are in the government NSA archives. These are all documents that they have. I mean, 
whether you want to believe that one or you want to go with a different document, there's a lot of documents where even people in their own weren't necessarily buying the lone gunman theory. I mean, they definitely believed a lot of them inside the FBI believed that there was more than one shooter. A lot of people thought it was the CIA. The CIA thought a lot of people was Dallas police. Dallas police thought it was the FBI. And it's just all these people that are separately giving information, but also doing their own independent investigations. And you have this back and forth that right now where every single researcher in the JFK assassination is trying to piece this together like a puzzle, but you're missing pieces or your dog chewed up a piece of the puzzle and it, the, it won't necessarily fit in the spot that it's supposed to fit in anymore because that's the deletion of documents. Yeah, what's the problem that ends up happening is that when the assassination takes place, when Johnson appoints the Warren Commission, they have a control on information. They can change things. They can uh, ignore witness testimony or alter witness testimony. They can invent outright lies with the magic bullet theory. So they can control information, and then that is hard to overcome. And it takes years for people to understand what the truth really is. And Think, think, just think, for example, like with the CIA, how different it is from when it, when it was supposed to be its original incarnation under President Truman. After the assassination, in fact, just months after the second this document came out, he said that they had strayed away from their original purpose. They no longer were men of honor. And it was something that needed to be changed, he felt. He was regretful that he gave, made the agency in the first place. I had someone at work who's listens to my show a lot and she was like, what was your whole point of talking about the JFK topic? And was it like, are you getting more views from it? And I'm like, not necessarily, maybe on the YouTube. Um, a lot of the people in the JFK community are like YouTubers. They're not Spotify people. Um, but I was, I just got interested in the topic and she's like, are you trying to expose like the government, like trying to like change it? And I'm like, like spark up an anarchy. I'm like, no, that's not necessarily it either. Like, I prefer just full transparency. Like, I think the idea of hiding a lie for so long, I get it under national security purposes. I believe the government does have to do things that we don't necessarily need to know about. But what they choose to draw the line at, I have a problem with. And when we talk about the death of a president, when we talk about the blame of the death of a president on a person that eventually got shot by a strip club owner, and then you have a strip club owner that was given in a matter of two weeks after he makes a statement saying they gave him cancer. They gave him over 126 x-rays. So you get into this aspect of like, I mean, that could happen to any of us. It doesn't, I think it's Cyril Weck that has the best um, explanation of this. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, this is your president. And it's like, yeah, that's true. It wouldn't matter if it was a political side or not. When it comes to just this happening to any of us, that could easily have been us. Yeah, I mean, so many people at the time, they just were, he had become a, like you said, a man of hope for many people. And when he died, so many people died with him. I mean, the Vietnam War would have ended. His brothers, I think, uh, his brother Robert Kennedy would have, would have survived. Robert, uh, Malcolm X. I mean, all these different people with the agency ended up killing Dr. King. His death really was one of the worst days in U.S. history. It was the impact is felt to this very day. With the men who fought the Vietnam War still killing themselves, the drug addiction. I just was in Albany just the other day looking at the, the New York State Memorial that they have for all the Vietnam War veterans. It just goes on and on. 
so many men died in that war that didn't have to die. And it just, the tragedy of that day just echoes to even to this day. Well, I really appreciate you for giving me your time to be able to chat on my podcast. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? Well, Amazon has all my books and I have an author page there. So I have other books about, um, you know, other books I've done like on religious mysteries and did a book on McKinley assassination. And so there's other things I've delved into uh, that's on my author page. So it's John Kerner, K-O-E-R-N-E-R. It's on Amazon. They have all the books there. Does it feel good to be on Amazon? I guess it's, uh, you have to go with uh, the corporate lords to get your word out, I guess. <laughs> I, I <laughs> the only reason I asked that I was like as much as we could talk trash and yell at Bezos and Amazon I'm like it does feel good to be like an established author on an Amazon page though there's something about that to me there I'm like damn dude that's a credit you can put in anything just walk up to the dinner table and slide it on your resume like hey by the way I'm established my big claim to fame is I'm the author and resident at the West Seneca Public Library so they they think I'm pretty cool there <laughs> that's, that's good awesome. for your hometown for sure um <laughs> John, it's been a serious pleasure uh, chatting with you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.